If you have your Bible, you can turn to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 4. 1 Peter, chapter 4. We're in the midst of this series. Words we call words to live by. There's these simple urges that Peter wants us to hear and wants us to respond to. He's written this whole letter that has to do with how do you live a life that honors Jesus? How do you live the life that he wants you to live? And now he's he's drawing to an end. He has these quick urges that he wants us to know. And we turn uh, this morning uh, to to an important urge from Peter. Chapter 4, verse 10. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Each of you should use whatever gifts you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Spiritual gifts. I want to suggest three things this morning, three very basic and simple things that come straight out of these, uh, these handful of verses. The first is that gifts uh, have their source in the grace of God. Spiritual gifts come from God's grace. They come straight out of God's grace, so much so that the Greek word for gifts is charisma, and the Greek word for grace is charis, right? They're interrelated words. Another way to translate this is these are graces that are given to you, straight from the grace of God. We're given spiritual gifts. So what are spiritual gifts? Well, uh, you can stick your finger here and turn to Romans chapter 12. Let's just read this real quick together. Perhaps you've, you've read this before. Romans chapter 12, verse 4, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's encouraging, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. We're given different gifts, right? Some have the gift of prophesying. Some have the gift of teaching. Some have the gift of encouraging. Some have the gift of mercy. Some have the gift of leading. Uh, you can flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. There's more. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, this is verse 1. Brothers and sisters, I, want you, I don't want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagan, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Love that. Gods that don't talk. Right? We have a speaking God. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them, right? They're given from God. They're from God's grace. The distributor is the Spirit. We don't decide that this is what I want to do. 
This is what I'd like to be good at. We don't sort of attain these, from, these things from their self. They're from the grace of God. There are different kinds of gifts of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them, in every one, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And and to still another, the interpretation of these tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one, just as he determines. Just as he determines. What can we know about spiritual gifts from these passages? One, there's lots of them, right? Two, God gives them to us through the Holy Spirit out of his grace. Three, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have one or more. Four, you don't have all of them. Five, so if the church is to be working properly, we need each other so that they all work together to form one body to honor one God. We live uh, in an isolated, individualistic world where the American dream is all about pulling yourself up by the bootstraps, going to work, working hard, and accumulating something. The picture of the church is nothing like that. not telling you you don't need to work hard and do your best. What I'm suggesting is it's not an individual accomplishment. We need, God needs what you have to offer. He's, He's trusting you to do this but in the company of other people exercising their gifts so that in the totality of it all, the kingdom of God is moving forward. Gifts of God's grace. One other thing we should note that some would suggest that there are certain gifts that have expired, that have terminated, that have uh, the theological word is ceased, right? Perhaps you've heard the word cessation, cessationism, non-cessationism. There's a verse in, there's one single verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that says when the perfect comes, these things will come to an end. And based on that verse, people have taken different perspectives. One that says, the perfect has come in the completion of God's revelation, which is the scriptures. And therefore, the miraculous gifts have ceased. There's another interpretation, which is the interpretation that we hold here, is that the perfect is talking about Jesus. Jesus has not come yet. He is the perfect completion of God's revelation, and therefore all gifts are available. How the Spirit intends to disseminate them is not up to us. We can't force their manifestation because we think it would be cool or necessary, but it's fully available to the Spirit of God for the sake of the kingdom and ultimately the glorification of the Father. Make sense? It doesn't necessarily mean something about who we are as a church. What it means is that the full arsenal of the ministry of the Spirit is available as the Spirit decides to disseminate it. That's what we believe. We are open to the ministry of the Spirit here, and we think that no avenue is closed to Him. Uh, And that's a good thing, because the sake of the kingdom is at hand. The sake of the advance of the name of Jesus is at stake, and ultimately the glorification of God Himself is at stake. So spiritual gifts, here they are, all kinds of different things. And we could take literally the next several weeks to talk about all the real probably the next several months to talk about all of them and unfold all of them. Uh, Mercy, 
uh, hospitality, uh, teaching, prophesying, leading, encouragement, exhortation, all these things. The natural question that most people arrive at then is, how do I determine what gifts I have? How do I determine what gifts I have? And there are all kinds of resources that are available out there. Most of them at least begin in some sort of assessment or test, right? Um, And if you're anything like me, when you hear the word test, it's like, shut off, done, I don't want to go there, right? (laughs) Uh, but you take, you take a test that sort of analyzes where you've, where you've seen God use you, uh, what things empower you. Um, and for a lot of people, the assessment ends there. You take a test, the test tells you, and there you go. There are your gifts. Uh, can I just say, out of the gentleness of every ounce of pastoral effort I have, don't ever stop by simply taking a test. I think that these tests can be good starts. They can be good ways to initiate yourself into this. They're not necessary. Um, certainly, uh, there weren't these sort of assessment tools in the early church, right? Peter and Paul didn't sit around and, and, and pass out Scantron sheets with number two pencils <laughs> to, the, to the early church to see who should function where and how it should all make sense. But we've developed ways and tools that can be helpful to the church, and so we can use them. But don't simply think because you take a test that that's the answer. Right, let me give you this illustration. When I was in high school, we took these tests on a computer um, that, with the guidance counselor that were to help you determine what you should be when you grow up, right? And I took this test as honestly as I could. And do you know what the top two things it told me I should be were? Number one, far and above everything else, a taxi cab driver. Right? Number two, a rabbi. So it got close, just in a totally different order of faith. <laughs> <laughs> was, I'm not sure how rabbi came up because there weren't even any questions about all of those things. So if I had simply stopped there and went home and said, Mom and Dad, I know what I want to do. I'm going to move to a big city and drive taxi. Well, first of all, I can tell you, without you ever having met my parents, would have been a completely unacceptable answer, right? <laughs> but it would be foolish to simply take a test and say, that's it, man. I took this test and I'm going to go forward. No, we need to take those results and consider them and pray over them And what's more important, since God intends to use us together, is what really needs to happen is gifts need to be discerned and understood within the community of faith. You need to have people calling the gifts out of you and being affirmed in you. You need to be pursuing all kinds of gifts and having people demonstrate to you through their affirmation and they're calling them out of you that, hey, God's blessing you in this way. You're seeing unusual push through you in these particular ways. Um, Some of you have experienced that from me to you, where I've said, hey, you may not want to see this, you may not like this, um, but here's what I see, you know? And just because I say it doesn't mean it's gospel truth per se, but that's how these things begin to become flesh. Now, tests are great ways to sort of get out of the weeds a little bit, but it's really when we begin interacting with other people and ultimately when we put ourselves out there in ministry, and we begin to see how God is actually using us, that we really understand the way that we've been gifted and can really live into it. Could you imagine if I had just been a taxi cab driver? Some of you are saying that could have been good for all of us, right? I'm just kidding. (laughs) Maybe I'd have been a great taxi cab driver. I don't know, but that wasn't what God was ultimately calling me to. 
And the same way it is for us and for your gifts. If you are still exploring and trying to figure, maybe you're new in faith, maybe you've been in faith for a long time, but you've just kind of been sitting there and just never really doing anything. Hey, I've got, I would love to talk to you. All those other people in our, in our church that would love to talk to you and begin getting you in the process of understanding how God has uniquely gifted you and what he might be able to do through you and beginning to give you the first steps to walk into that, to apprentice in those things, you know. It doesn't just mean that you, just, you hear from God that you're a teacher and you're going to be up here next Sunday preaching. Like, don't be frightened about those things. Right? There's apprentices. You walk into those things and, and God uses the community of faith to call around. The gifts from God's grace to you. Well, why do we say that particularly? Here's, here, I think, is what is the core of this because you, whenever you find gifts, obviously the word gift is, is off the root grace, but there's always these words grace around it is because how unbelievable of our God that in his plan of restoration for this world, he would see fit to use me and you to do it. I mean, this is a speaking God who could just do whatever he wanted to, right? And could just ask and accomplish whatever he wants, but he uses his followers to accomplish it in the world. And what other way would he use? Because how did Jesus the incarnation is the model isn't it god becomes flesh and moves into the world into the situation and in the same way as christians the the word actually meaning little christs we in broken but partial ways bearing the image of christ to the world through the exercise of our gifts we talk a lot in the church about how we need to believe in god but there's something underlying here that's really important God believes in you. And he's calling you into something important. He's given you a holy responsibility to accomplish the greater end of the advance of the kingdom of God. How unbelievable is that? That the creator of the world would use an ancient farmer named Noah to rescue the world. Would use an adopted Slave to lead his people who he didn't even know he was part of out of 400 years of exile would use an illegitimate child of a not yet married woman to be the holy Theotokos right? the bearer of God Jesus born in that way this is how God works and so it is for us right just regular people living our regular lives and yet having this holy responsibility as an integral part in the advance of God's kingdom. Do you think that if you had had the chance to interview Abraham before God spoke from heaven and said, I'm going to create from you a great people, he would have had any idea of what God intended to do through him? But he was herding sheep and cattle and building a, you know, a he was a nomad and doing those things. Or how about David when he's out tending the sheep and his brothers are at battle before the prophet comes to him? You think he would have had any idea of what God intended to do to him? But see what Peter is saying here, that this is from grace. Gifts come from God's grace to you. And whether or not you believe that God has an unbelievable future and plan for you in the advance of his kingdom, I want to tell you that he does. And whether or not you see that in full color in the next 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years of your life, 
or generations from now, people can trace their spiritual lineage right back to this moment. God has an integral role for each of us to play. How gracious of our God to let us be part of this great thing that he's doing in the world. I love that. Gifts are rooted, they're from the grace of God, but gifts are exercised in God's power. Gifts are from God's grace, but they're exercised in God's power. There's a grave, grave error of doing ministry in man's own power. And we are so prone to it all of the time. Listen to what what Peter writes here. Let's read it again. Each of you should uh, use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do it as the one who speaks the very words of God, power right from God. If anyone serves, they should do it with the power, the strength that God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. Love this word, stewards, right? Love this word. Each one of you should use whatever gifts you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. The Greek word for stewards is oikonomoi, uh, the plural, oikonomos, uh, is, the, is the singular, Stewards, And what it actually is, is like a household manager. How nice would it be to have one of those, right? Rachel and I were just talking about, in our community group on Friday, we were just talking about how busy life was. What if we had household managers to take care of all the details? Uh, so a, a steward is like a household manager. But catch this. Here's the background of the steward. Steward is a slave who has been freed, but is now fully working for his master. Oh man, how cool is that, isn't it? A former slave who is now a freed man who's been put in charge of the household of the master. In the Old Testament, it used to be that uh, when slaves, a lot of times slaves were like what, what we would call uh, in recent history indentured servants. So maybe they, they had a big, huge debt that they couldn't pay, and so then they, to pay it back, they'd have to go work for their master for seven years. At the end of that time when that contract was up, that person could be free. But some slaves, because they came to love their master so much, would actually put themselves into his service for the rest of their life. And so the master would take this person to the doorframe of the house, and they would pierce their ear, and it would be a sign that this person belonged to this master forever. Do you get the narrative image of what Peter is talking about here. That's us. Slaves who have been freed and have come to work for the master. This is what we do. Slaves, enemies, given to sin, who have been rescued and freed and now have fully given ourselves to the master. Our vocation is no longer the establishment of our kingdom, it's the establishment of his So take us to the doorpost, Father, and pierce our ear. This is the gospel. Maybe you're here and the gospel has just been language to you for so long. Trust Jesus. You're a sinner. Have your sins forgiven. Go to heaven. That's right. That's good. That's right. But listen to this. The Bible tells us that we have been living in opposition to God, building our own world. And in grace, through Jesus, God, rather than condemning us, which he rightly could do and be done with us, 
provides salvation through Jesus. A new way, a new path, takes enemies and makes them friends, takes enemies and makes them more than friends, calls them sons and daughters, gives them his inheritance. And our response, as Paul would write at the beginning of chapter 12 of Romans, is to offer back to him everything. Take me to the doorpost and pierce my ear, Lord. And now we become the dispensers of the gospel, the managers of the kingdom that God has set forth. I love this imagery, but we do it in God's power. If we are prone to, to do things in our own power, to rely on our talents and our abilities, which we always will fall into this trap uh, because it's the natural sort of broken way of the world to know that we develop certain talents and we see certain levels of success and so then we simply rely on our talents to achieve that success when ultimately God has been working through us to accomplish things and it has nothing to do with how well we did it. We fall into this trap of muted, unempowered, work, rather than completely empowered, gospel, kingdom-originated ministry. Two radically different things that Peter wants us to know. Listen, use whatever gifts you have, but don't just do what you're good at. Do what God has empowered you to do. I'm not suggesting to you that the gifts God has given to you are the things you're terrible at. That's not what I mean. I'm not saying that because you're good at something, that's not what God has gifted to you. Probably just the opposite, right? But what I'm saying is don't fall into the trap of doing it your way because you're good at it, relying on the methods you've always used, relying on your talents and your ability. The way that we're called to exercise our gifts is through a dynamic and unrelenting connection to Jesus. A John 15 vine and branches kind of connection where the power flows right through us and we're called to do the things we're doing and yet we're looking around saying, how is this even happening? What's happening? Because God is empowering it and making it happen. Not because we cooked up a good sermon because we're good teachers. Not because we make nice cards because we're great encouragers. But because God has empowered us to do it and it flows right from his powers as if you are speaking the very words of God. Peter writes. Gifts are, have their source. They're from God's grace. They're to be exercised in God's power. And the ultimate reason for the use of gifts is for God's glory. right? For God's glory. So the Westminster Shorter Catechism says, the chief end of man is to glorify God. Fair enough. It's true. It's right. In all things, we're called to glorify God. We end here with this great refrain uh, in, in, in Peter. If anyone speaks, they should do so. It's one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do it with the strength God provides so that in all things, not some, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. The, the phrase there, forever and ever, means uh, unto ages and ages and ages. Right? Love that. Amen. Amen is the Greek word that's transliterated. The Greek word is amen. We just simply said, we don't, know, we don't know a good way to translate this, so we're just going to adopt it. It means true, basically what it means. But it'd be weird to sort of end it, right? To him be the praise and the glory forever and ever. True, right? 
But that's what it means. Yes, I agree. True. I believe it. I ratify it. Me. Sign me onto that. That's me. I agree. When people say amen, that's what they're saying. So be it. It's another way to say it. That in all things, God would receive the glory. We've talked at the very beginning of this series about falling ill to the self, uh, to the intoxication of self-worth. Right? Here is an area of spirituality where this can very easily happen. In your giftedness, using it to scratch the itch of self-worth. Because it feels good to have someone put their arm around you and say, man, you are so good at this. Or that was so great. Or God used you in this way. It is much less natural to us as fallen humans to return the praise to the one who actually empowered us to do it. That God would be glorified in all things. Can I give you three, three pastoral urges? Three pastoral urges. Before I do that, let me say this. Uh, we said that the Westminster Shorter Catechism, if we go by that, but really if you read scriptures, there's no getting around it. The chief end of man is to glorify God. Uh, Jesus believed that. And in, so in his high priestly prayers in John 17, he's, he's talking about that and saying that he's done everything to give glory to God. And he makes this very interesting statement where he says that I have glorified you by doing the work you have called me to do. So when we take up the call that God has put on our life, we in fact are ultimately glorifying him. And Jesus sets this example for us. So three pastoral urges for you. First is, and you get this right from what Peter says, if, not if, you are gifted and you need to use it. Peter wants us to know that first and foremost. You need to use your gifts. To not use your gifts is to not answer the call God has put on your life and therefore to not give glory to God, to not put forward the advance of God's kingdom. However small in the greater scheme of things you may feel that your gifting is, it is not. It is on par with the rest of them. You need to play your part. You need to do your thing. And let me just remind you that um, we live in a world uh, which is more and more given to the thought of uh, living in your strengths. And this is a good thing sort of in terms of secular leadership and things like that, knowing sort of your weaknesses, but doing as much as you can in your strength. The spiritual world doesn't always work that way. Right? Like it would be nice if, uh, if you're gifted as in hospitality, the scriptures simply told you to, to offer hospitality and did away with the love and the teaching and the leadership and all the other stuff. Like as if that doesn't apply to you, because this is the only thing I've called you to, right? Oh, we need to pursue all of them, but knowing that God has given us special dispensation in certain areas to really push back the darkness and relying on other people to fill in the gaps as we pursue all of these gifts, mercy, hospitality, exhortation, encouragement, prophecy. Sometimes if if you like to have the silent voice that doesn't say anything, but God's giving you a message, you need to stand up and say it. Use your gifts. Use them. Don't sit on your hands. The old saying, right, get in the game. 
Don't simply be a spectator from the sideline, an applauder. We need people who applaud other people along, but you also need to be applauded as you do the thing that God has called you to do. We're all in this. Use them. Second thing, don't own it to yourself. God has empowered you to something you didn't accomplish it. God has gifted you and created you uniquely, knit you together in your mother's womb to play a certain role in the advance of his kingdom. You aren't naturally, because of who you are, good at it. Right? It's not that you are good at something, it's that God has dynamically empowered you to something. It changes the whole way that we look at the world. Right? From sort of an, an otherworldly look at, you are good at these things. I'm not trying to tell you you're like, not good at them, but, but we need to see them from another way, that God has empowered you to do it. When we do that, we're always careful to return praise to God. We're always careful to use it so that God will be glorified. When we don't, when we think about it in terms of us being good at it, we are not careful to do those things. We own it to ourselves. We receive the praise, and then we get to a certain level that if we're not receiving enough praise, we start to be down in the dumps because we're not getting the praise that we think we need to. Forget all of that stuff. Don't own it to yourself. All of these gifts are disseminated by the Spirit. They are not bought by you. They are not fostered in you naturally. You didn't study hard to be great at them. They're given by God at His choosing, at His will, through His power for His glory. So don't own it to yourself. Don't own it to yourself. And lastly... Don't do it alone. Do it in community. Do it in community. Almost all of the imageries of spiritual gifts are in the imagery of the one body of Christ. And so the idea of a decapitated body walking around because certain people aren't playing their part does not seem attractive to the cause of Christ, right? And yet that's the reality of so much of the church. We've got like right hands and left knees and faces without mouths and you know what I'm trying to create a funny picture for you here <laughs> walking around but but the picture for for all of uh, for us to understand is that the image of Christ is most blatantly and overtly manifest to the world when each of us are using our gifts in God's power for his glory as interrelated parts. And that the absence of each other is the absence of parts of the great mosaic that God desires us to paint for this world. That Jesus isn't as clearly seen when you aren't playing your part, when you are owning it to yourself. That we do need each other in all big and small ways to do this. Love the imagery of 1 Corinthians 11 and 12. 1 Corinthians 11 is where Paul talks about uh, the, the, the Last Supper, the Eucharist, that Jesus' body is broken for the world. And then he goes right into chapter 12 where he's talking about the body of Christ is put together when everyone is using their gifts, right? That it's directly connected, that Christ's body is broken for the salvation of the world, and that he, his glory and image are manifest when it's put back together by all the people of God, not only just in one local church, but definitely in one local church, the universal church even more so, how much more powerful would it be if all Christians in unity were using their gifts, not walking separate paths, given to orthodox faith, 
how radical would the image of Christ be to the world? Yet we live in this scattered, piece-by-piece, individual existence where I just got to do my thing. Right? And you do have to do your thing through the power of Christ, to the glory of God, and in community. Because we need each other. The cause of Christ needs you to play your part. Use your gifts. You have them. Chances are you have more than one. Chances are most of us aren't exercising them to the fullest ability. So talk to each other. Discern gifts in each other. Let them rise up. Apprentice in them. Begin to to dabble in different ways. See how God's using you to push back the darkness. This will be, church, how this church grows. This will be how the kingdom of God expands in this place. It doesn't happen because churches put on good programs. Our world isn't interested in good religious programs anymore. They think that's a silly thing. It won't be because we get, have you know, full bands and great music in the world's best children's ministry. We'd love to keep growing in all the areas of our ministry, but the darkness will be pushed back and the kingdom will expand when the image of Christ is manifest by everyone playing their part in an interrelated way through the power of God for the glory of God demonstrating the gospel which is grace to the world. So what about you? What part will you play? When Peter says, then and now, as if he were writing to you, use your gifts. What is he saying to you? And what will be a next step? These are the questions he has for us as we push forward. These last urges. This is a word to live by for all of us. Let me pray. God, how good it is to swim in this great pool of grace. That you would use people like us in a long line of ordinary people used to do extraordinary things is just how you do things. You are a great and good God. So Spirit, we are praying that you would fall on us afresh. We're asking for a renewed empowerment of you, Spirit. We're asking for wisdom and discernment and understanding the ways that you have uniquely equipped us and empowered us for the sake of your kingdom. And we are asking for a holy kick in the pants to make it happen. Push us into it. We want to see the darkness pushed back here. We want to hear the name of Jesus spoken in new places. We want the gospel to resonate in new corners of this community. We want to see the brokenness of this world begun to be restored through the kingdom in its advance. We live in the already but not yet. We live in the in-between world, God, but you have called us as royal ambassadors of your kingdom. So let your kingdom come in Bethlehem, Allentown, Easton, and all the areas around it as it is in heaven. And empower us to play our part, we pray it. Amen.